0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study through the New Testament. This is study number 243. Good job. For those of you that have been here, some of you have been here for most of those. That's really good. We've worked our way through the New Testament a chapter at a time up to this point. We're in Revelation chapter 9 today. Um, I worked it out the other day. We'll be done in February, and then we'll begin our journey through the Old Testament, um it will start in genesis in february and we'll work our way through and 15 years later we'll be done and uh so they laughed at me when i said we would do five years in the new testament and we've done it so another 15 then we'll start all over again that's my plan and hopefully on that second run if he hasn't already come back he will come back at some point that (laughs) so um all is good uh studying the Bible this way is extremely helpful, I think, in in, the, in our walk with Jesus. It helps us to know the New Testament in context, um, and it, it I think it makes us better disciples. We're, we're more aware of how things should fit together, and where they go, and why they're there, and how the story worked, and what was taking place. And, and you know, we, we've we acquainted ourselves with the ministry of Jesus, and then we've looked at the, the ministry of the, of the early church, and, and in particular Peter, and then Paul, and then all of Paul's travels, and what we learned about his journeys, his missionary journeys, and then how he wrote to the churches, and we studied those in depth, and now we're coming to the end of the New Testament, we're in the book of Revelation, which is a fascinating book, Um, uh, you know, the Apostle John records this revelation of Jesus Christ for us, there's a lot of different ways to interpret the book of Revelation, and I've told you that's fine, there's four or five major ways. Um, we, we've touched on them as we go through it, and I'll, I'll hit them from time to time. Primarily, I hold a futurist viewpoint, which means I don't believe the events of Revelation have happened yet. We're waiting for them to take place. If you have a different viewpoint, that's good. That's okay. I, I don't struggle with that. Um, but but the, So I, I, you'll hear me mostly teach from the viewpoint that it hasn't taken place yet. Um, and um, So that's a futurist viewpoint and we've, we've, we've dug in it's been you know, I hope you're finding it fascinating um, it starts to get even a little weirder this week um, as we start talking about some of the things that happens because there's, there's actually an, an angel's gonna go and open the abyss where the demons have been locked up and some of them will be released here and some will be released five months from this point and they'll cause even greater havoc on the earth than we've already seen remember in the first wave of judgments uh, a quarter of the earth's population was killed And we're going to see in this chapter um, when that second wave of demonic um, evil is released from the abyss, one third, another third of the population will go. So at the end of this uh, chapter, um, from the time that we started, a half of the earth's population will have um, been um, wiped out in this season of judgment. There were opportunities all along the way for them to repent, and they're still refusing to repent even at this point. Um, and that will be the the way the chapter comes to a, a clean, the, the, the close, that these people who are still refusing. They're so hard-hearted that they still would rather choose to worship these, this demonic influence, false gods, idols, than to come to know the true and living God. And so that that's the season that's taking place. But uh, you remember as we, you know, we looked at the letters to the churches in chapter 2 and 3 and how fascinating those seven letters were and and uh, those churches existed at that time and they were on this the route that the mail carrier would have taken and that letter would have gone from church to church and they they shared that with with them and then in chapters four and five some of my favorites you know the the worship around the throne and i always think about you know worship around the throne when we begin to worship here how in the in those chapters in four and five you you see that we are tied into that somehow even now that what's taking place around the throne room of god that we we are, are joining in and so when we gather and worship like this we're connecting with this worship that's ongoing around the throne room and we read the descriptions and how the the, the, you know the living creatures and the and the elders uh, uh, around them the twenty four elders and then um, the angels' uncountable myriads thousands upon thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands, and then the saints joining in and and all singing these songs that were somehow weaving themselves together in in this uh this fantastic melody that was taking place around the throne and all these new songs kept going forth and uh, i just I love the ideas as we as we worship god from you know from our beings here that it's so much more than the music it's a connection with god around the throne and that that we're engaged in that in a very real way and it it should it should take your worship to another spot when you realize that that this is being offered to him and and it's a, a glorious thing to be a part of and we moved um in, into revelation six and and seven and eight and we started to see these judgments being poured out um and and uh and what they look like and the, the, we, we looked at the seals, the seven seals and, and those judgments as they were opened one at a time, the seventh seal opened up the first of the trumpets and now we're, we're in the trumpet judgments and then when, when we get to the seventh trumpet, it will open another series of judgments, the bold judgments or the vile judgment and we're trying to sort of look into this and, and put it together where we can. You know, I've encouraged you not to get stuck in trying to figure everything out because you just can't um, what we're always trying to do as we look through revelation is to learn more about Jesus wherever we can and we always have the hope and, and knowledge of that he's returning for us soon and so even though these events sometimes seem really you know we, we, how in the world is this going to take place we, we, as his kids we never need to be afraid remember if you remember early on when, when the apostle John saw Jesus at the throne and he fell down and this was you know John and Jesus were really close friends and, and yet when he saw her on the throne, he just kind of passed out and Jesus said, you don't need to be afraid. And, and uh, so I, I want you to hang on to that. That is a friend of Jesus, no matter what we read about, no matter what ultimately takes place as his friends, you never need to be afraid. He's got you, he's with you and he always will be. And so always hang on to that as we as we, as we read through some of these events together. Um, chapter nine is pretty intense because I, as, as I said, we're, we're gonna see uh, the abyss opened and the these these next couple of judgments are extremely demonic in nature. So far, most of the judgment that we've seen has had a sort of a natural, um, you know, feel to it as far as elements in the earth and things taking place. But now we're, we're going deep in the supernatural and a demonic sort of thing start to happen as, as uh, these demons that have been locked away and, and not allowed to do anything are being released in this time of judgment to... Uh, to, to sort of terrorize um, and torment the inhabitants of the earth in the process. So that's what we're going to see. Um, this first wave that we'll read about are, are likened unto locusts, but the description is really unsettling when we read it because they got human faces and stuff, and it's... Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, and... and uh, they just torment, they can't kill anybody, but they torment everybody for five months. And then the next wave comes, and uh, they destroy a third of the human beings that have survived all of the earlier judgments they're going to go at this period in time. So let's, uh, let's read this, and then we'll talk about it briefly, and then we'll press on from there. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 21. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth, and the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will, not, they will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. And they had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months." Isn't that, sorry, I'm I'm breaking free from the scripture for a moment. Isn't that gross? (laughs) Ew. These little locust flying things with people's faces and long hair and lion's teeth, and tails like scorpions and actually wearing some sort of armor. Um, this is what John's describing in the process. They had his king over them. They were organized. They even had a king. The angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek, Apollyon. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill of the third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my visions looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. The heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails were like snakes having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So that's a fairly intense chapter of scripture, would you agree? Yeah. So let's just talk about it a little bit. Um, that first verse, we got the fifth angel, he sounds his trumpet. Now the, that star that's being referred to there is, is uh, it's not believed to be an actual star, um, but a lot of different thought, uh, has been on that star over the you know decades and generations and eons and whatever you want to call it. Um, some think it's it was being referred to Satan or some to a fallen angel or some even to Jesus or or some to a good angel. Um, I, I would believe personally that it was a a an angel in good standing, if you would, a good angel um, because it's actually given the key to the abyss. And, and uh, that would have a pretty big deal because it's the oper- you know, the ability to open the abyss, to um, have access to these demonic beings that have been locked away. And this key um, that it was given had been held by Jesus. So um, I-, I, would, I would assume that this was a good angel that was given this key and that this was uh, at, at the authority of God for this to take place. And that key... Um, we, we read about that key back in Revelation 1, 17 and 18. John said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. That's what I was talking about earlier. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus has these keys that have locked all this mess away for, for years. And, and now in this judgment period, um, they're going to be released for a time. And so this key is given to a good angel who goes and opens um, the abyss uh, uh, and um, this first wave is going to be released. Now the abyss, sometimes in your translation it may say bottomless pit, Um, it's a a very deep gulf or chasm we believe that's in the lowest part of the earth and it's used as a um, uh, like a common receptacle if you would of the dead and especially it's the abode of demons and and, um, This this the abyss is different than than the hell that we understand. That's eternal. This is a temporary thing, um, where where these um, this demonic host has been um, kept um, for some period of time. Now we'll hear about this abyss again. Um, at the beginning of the millennial reign there's a thousand year period that we'll talk about in, in the book of Revelation and and it's the abyss where Satan himself is bound for this thousand years um, and and at the end he's released again and he sort of promptly tries to start some sort of uprising that doesn't last very long and then he's put forever into the lake of fire that's the final place for them they'll be forever the enemy, the fallen angels and ultimately any human being who's chosen to go that route, because um, that's what will happen at the end, you know, it's a, it's a thought, because sometimes when people are thinking about God, they say, how could God send anyone to that kind of ultimate end, and um, God doesn't send anyone there, he just honors people's choices at the very end, you have a choice all the way along, all the way along, and God will make himself real and known, Constantly, over and over, the Holy Spirit's at work all the time, wooing and drawing, and it's the hardness of people's hearts and ultimately their choice that can end in that um, being their eternal destiny. But it's not the heart of God for any of them. But it's a choice, and He will honor choices at the end of it all. It's just part of the deal. So, um, but when I talk about the abyss, and then then we just sort of talked about you know hell and the lake of fire, and I, I realized, and I wanted to take a few minutes today because the locusts take up most of that chapter and you can only say so much about these locusts with a funny face. Um, but there's a lot of different descriptions in the Bible for um, heaven and hell. And I, I wanted to have a quick discussion about how some of them sort of fit together, at least the way I understand it. And then you can, you can study that and figure that out. So um, there's, there's different terms. Um, uh, the, uh, for um, for the, all these places of, the, of, the, you know, of hell, it's Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, the Lake of Fire. And then heaven is referred to also as paradise and Abraham's bosom. And um, I wanted to talk about those. Let's talk about the good stuff first. Uh, Paradise is used in the scripture um, as as a synonym for heaven. Um, And when Jesus was dying on the cross, if you remember, one of the thieves was being crucified, asked him for mercy. And Jesus replied, tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. And and so we, we believe he was using that terminology is a synonym for heaven, where he would be, shortly he knew that, and, uh, and that's, a, you know, what we're looking forward to. Abraham's bosom is also referred to um, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. I know a lot of people ask questions about that, and what's that mean, because the image is the story. If you go and read it, it's Luke 16. Um, Lazarus is reclining at a table, and he's leaning on Abraham's breast, um, similar to the picture we have of, you know, the Apostle John leaning on the, on the chest of Jesus. And and, uh, and and there's there's these uh, people wonder what that represents. Is this something that was happening at that time? You know, pre um, the return of Jesus, uh, or is it post all of that happening? Um, but the uh, the idea is we we believe, if you that I believe, it was a, a picture of of paradise, and and that. Uh, that it's, it was a relevant thing, and, and, and yet ultimately the main part of that story in Luke is that there's a divide and a chasm between the righteous and those who've chosen not to follow Jesus, and one is a place of torment, and they can actually see that there's across the chasm somehow that they missed it, um, which looks like part of the, the torment that they endure um, in the process. And so, um, so when you read about those things, we believe that's referring to heaven. On the other side... Um, the the word used to describe the realm of the dead um, in the Bible is Sheol um, which means the place of the dead or the place of the departed souls and spirits and um, it's uh, in the Greek it would come out Sheol as Hades Sheol would be the Hebrew Hades the Greek um, it's a place of the dead the word Gehenna is used in the New Testament for hell and and, uh, it's derived from the Hebrew word Hinnon and uh, this this, um, the way that I believe scripture would make that known to us is that Sheol or Hades is a temporary place where souls um, are kept as they await the final resurrection. And, and that, um, see, I believe it goes like this, though, because people often ask me about that. And there's some scripture in the Bible that, that um, is why I'm gonna say what I say. So that the souls of the righteous, believers in Christ, when they die... Um, they go directly into the presence of God. There's a part of this temporary spot right now that we would refer to as heaven. But absent from the body is to be present with God. Because some people want to think that this is a, there's a time gap that you, you spend in, and I don't believe that. And Paul, very clearly says, you know, to be absent from the, from the body is to be present with God. I believe that somehow, even though that situation is not the final destination, it's temporary, we'll be with heaven, and it starts our eternal destiny with God. And that those who don't believe are kept in this temporary place until all the rest of this stuff Is worked out. They don't have an option at that point. They're already, their choice is made, Um, but but that's what's taking place. And then this lake of fire that's mentioned in Revelation 19 and 20, that's sort of the final hell. It's the place of eternal punishment. And and, uh, everyone who's not going to be with Jesus will be emptied out of Hades, and that's where they will find their final destination. So um, that's a lot to think about, but let me also say this, that if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you don't really have to worry about any of it. So let's get your name in the Book of Life. You just need to know Jesus. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your name's in the Book of Life. All of that will be however it works out, okay? But, but the reality is, again, as a people of mission, part of the understanding is we wanna help everybody that we can to make choices to know Jesus. And we're gonna do that as we continue by loving them well, encouraging, reaching out to them, letting them know that this is the way to find life is in, cross, in, the, in Jesus and what He did at the cross. Now, uh, as we move on from there, verses 2 to 12, these locusts start to happen. Actually, back at the time of the prophet Joel, he prophesied that there'll be this locust sort of invasion before the day of the Lord, which is the coming judgment of the Lord. And um, in Joel 2, 1 through 10, it's funny, you know, he's writing... Below the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, come, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert wave. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses, they gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountain tops, like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn for battle. At the sight of them nations are in anguish, every face turns pale. They charge like warriors, they scale walls like soldiers, they all march in line, not swearing their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They brush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses. Like thieves, they enter the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The sky trembles. The sun and moon and darken. And the stars no longer shine. And so Joel is talking about this wave, these two waves, this wave of locusts and the wave of horses that we're seeing back in Joel chapter 2. Um, In the Old Testament, locusts were always seen as a symbol of destruction because they destroyed vegetation. But interestingly, they're told not to mess with the vegetation um, at this point in time. And uh, their leader is named the destroyer. That's what those words mean, uh, in effect. And verse 12, um, it says this is the first of the woes is over when that five months is over. And if you remember our eagle in the last chapter that flew in and said these are the three woes. you got three woes coming. One is done, fortunately. Then verses 13 through 22, the sixth angel sounds his trumpet. The four angels that are being referred to there are their fallen angels because they've been bound for the season until this point in time um, to go out and carry the, their, their evil task. And um, a, as they're released, one third of the population is killed. Um, there's this huge army that these four demons are apparently over. A lot of speculation about whether this has human components, if it's a, big, a massive um, army um, that wouldn't have been conceivable in John's day might be now but I have a a thought that it's probably more of a demonic thing than anything just because of the descriptions and then after they do all of that it's fascinating to me the people that are left would still rather choose the dark side than to follow Jesus and and that's where we end uh, chapter 9 so we've got 6 of the trumpets done trumpet 7 is coming and lots of other sort of Fascinating detail. Like I said, I you know it's highly speculative. A lot of it we can't understand it all. Um, futurist viewpoint that I have. My my hope would be that that um, the church isn't even engaged at this point. We're we're out waiting out this period. But if you don't, some people I I have understood. I've studied you know the other positions on the tribulation. And um, if you believe in a mid trib or a post trib, I get it. Um, my, my hope would be having read through this stuff that even though with the seal of God we're not, we're not harmed it through most of these things still it would be a really tough time to live through I would much rather have the idea of hanging out at the wedding feast <laughs> letting this happen until we get to come in Revelation 19 with Jesus on the white horse and we're coming with him that sounds like way more fun to me uh, but <laughs> wherever it is, it is and, uh, you know, process this stuff, like I said, it's, it's, there's a lot, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a book with a promise, right? Read it. You, we won't understand it all, but we don't need to be afraid of it, and we should engage it from time to time. And because, in all the hope is, and the, and the understanding, Jesus is coming back for us soon, and that's an amazing thing. There's nothing better than that. As a believer, that's the, that's the good stuff. And uh, it's just a reminder of that, that he's coming back and taking place. Anyway, that's good for tonight. Uh, if you're watching my video or on TV, thank you. We appreciate you doing that. And you can always uh, contact us via our website if you need prayer or something, that would be cool. But that's good for now. Please go ahead and shut the video down.